0: Well, since we're speaking on uh, fighting today, figured we would show you guys a little... Oh, I didn't even know that would be up there. That's cool. <laughs> snow Apocalypse 2014. Uh, whether you realize it or not, uh, last week we would not have been able to have church uh, if it were not God raising up snow warriors. So, Jerry, let's go ahead and throw, uh, throw that up on the screen. This is uh, Mr. Willie. We've got Barry, uh, C, Chris Holland, Andrew Sloan, Fred Tudor, Lee Flora. And we were not above child labor, if you look really close in the picture. And let's go to the next one there. I don't know if you can see it very well, but we've got two guys on the back of Willie's four-wheeler trying to push the snow. Because unless you were in a coma, you realize that we had a lot of snow last week. And uh, let's go to the next one there. And this is Chris uh, doing donuts in the parking lot and uh to break up the snow and let's go ahead and roll that next one there there we go come on now all the rednecks in the house said amen yes and uh that was not because we're immature and if you could listen very close, it's Alexis saying, well, you're the one who made him do it, you know, <laughs> sliding across. <laughs> I think that's the other pastor, if we could find him. But, uh, but seriously, thank you guys for being willing to use your talents for the Lord. And um I appreciate this church. I really do. And I don't want to embarrass you, brother, but Willie, the, the week before he came forward uh, on during the invitations so that I'm ready to follow Jesus Christ with everything that I am. And then the Lord uses him that next week to clear off the whole, the whole lot of help from some other guys so that we'd be able to actually have a place to park. And whether you realize it, whether it's Willie, whether it's Barry, whether it's Fred, whether it's I could go on and on and on and on with names. There are so many people that God is so blessed me with to be able to serve with you. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I love y'all. Let's continue to reach Franklin County with the gospel. And even if that means doing donuts in the parking lot when there's not even snow, we'll do that for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Just let the phone calls and the emails come. All right, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 there in verse number 38. We're going to talk today about the ethics of retaliation. And I put on Facebook, ticked off, come tomorrow as we look at Jesus' ethics uh, on retaliation. So we're going to look at anger, fighting, and all of those things that too often characterize Life on planet earth. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But, once again, Jesus takes precedence. But who? But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps or strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. This is where you get that phrase, getting the pants sued off of you. Right there. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him how many? Two. And by this time, people are like, I'm done. Notice Jesus goes further. Verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And I believe that with Rocky Mount Baptist Church, where we are right now, we are so blessed to have so many people that the Lord is bringing from all different walks of life. And it is absolutely awesome when you get to talk to people and they say, Jeff, I've been out of church for a long time or I've never really been involved in church at all. And you may feel a little bit uncomfortable, but it's like you're the ones that we really want to reach. Amen. You know, if God brings you and you're part of another church and he just absolutely gives you clarity to come and there's no there's no bitterness, you've resolved things you know, with former church or pastor, we, we want what God wants. But boy, what a great thing it is to have people come from all different walks of life. And one of the things is that a lot of us bring to the table many things that we were told. And if you're taking notes with us uh, in your worship guide, your bulletin, you'll see that one of the things that we learned from Jesus right out of the gate in the sermon on the the Mount, is that when you become a follower of Jesus, it often requires rejecting much of what you are told. Amen. And not only that, I, I'm just, this is a message that I have struggled with. Uh, for those of you who know me and know me well, um, I, I enjoy, uh, I enjoy um, to a certain degree competition. Uh, like if, you know, if you're a guy and we go to the YMCA and we put on pads and, you know, you kick me in the head, I will think that is awesome. And I'm like, teach me how to do that. If you have a good sidekick, if you know how to throw leg kicks, I'm like, teach me how to do the snap. If we go and we get on the wrestling mat and you get me in an arm bar, I'm like, that is awesome. Teach me that. I just have a drive. My parent, my mom, especially, my dad's like, he's a boy. But growing up, I wanted to be involved in in football and karate, and it's just kind of like this drive, not necessarily to kill people or to be unduly violent. Some of you are like, we are never coming back to this church before. He definitely needs like deep psychotherapy. But just that challenge of, you know what I'm talking about, guys, where, you know, what he drives doesn't matter. Your education doesn't matter. You know, this doesn't matter. It's just very primal. And you get two guys, and you're there on the wrestling mat. You're there in the boxing rink. You're like, no hard feelings. In fact, we'll be better friends after this, the hardest we hit each other in the face. Booyah! And then the bell hits, and you train. And it's awkwardly quiet. I knew I shouldn't have started it off that way. But I, I I enjoy that, and even last um, last Saturday, I uh, was at the local mixed martial arts event, had the opportunity to be the chaplain for that, and uh, there's six, seven hundred people there and was able to open in prayer, and I didn't know how that was going to go uh, at all, but after the prayer, you know, people were doing like that and cheering, so I was like, well, that's, you know, I didn't get beat up, and... Uh, and then being able to go into the warm-up rooms and, and pray with these fighters and just walk up and say, my name's Jeff Robinson. I'm the chaplain for this event. I'd like to pray with you if that's okay. I mean, you don't go in at an event like that and say, hey, hey, brother, how you doing? You know, a little a little pastoral massage on the back. That's the way that you get murdered, right? You just go in and just... But here's the thing. All those guys, I mean, tough-looking guys, muscle-up guys, every single one that I asked, Wasn't able to get to all the fighters. Every single one, they said, "I would love to do that." I was able to pray in Jesus' name, and we prayed in Jesus' name from the center of the cage, and that's to the praise of the Lord Jesus. And. We live in a country where we can we can still do that for now. But I I enjoy I en- that's just the way that I'm wired. There's some people and they're very passive. Uh, my mom you know she says whenever I see and her her perspective on wrestling is it's two sweaty men in tights hugging all over each other. And she says turn the channel. You know I'm like well how is he going to lock in that chokehold? It's just t- some of us come from completely different perspectives when it has to do with self defense, martial arts, military stuff. Some of you are hunters amen right some of you are like bro i'm packing right now i got my caltech 380 back here just chilling chilling like a villain on penicillin but if anything goes down i got you covered pastor like you are you are locked and ready to go at a moment's notice and some of y'all are like this is already not the message for me so the reason why, why i mention that is because i bring a lot of I bring a lot of stuff to the table. I'm an American. I'm a southerner. I was born in Texas. I was raised in Louisiana where people shot stuff in the swamps and then they ate it. I mean, and, and you know, and and. It, college and seminary getting involved in, in these these self-defense martial arts boxing and mixed martial arts all of those things and and i just i just and i looked i like those old chuck norris shoot 'em up movies and lord has to work on me with that stuff that's just the way that i'm wired so just for jeff robinson you may be totally different but when i come to this text this is a very very difficult passage But before we go into error like some people do when they mistranslate and misunderstand Jesus' words, I put in your notes some preliminaries that we don't just take this passage in isolation, but we interpret this passage as the whole Bible is interpreted. Number one there, so that we don't misunderstand Jesus, we have to understand that Jesus is focusing on the ethics of, notice, Personal, not collective self-sacrifice. In other words, Jesus is not telling us that we can choose for other people what they must sacrifice. In other words, Jesus is not teaching socialism. Socialism is... One man, namely the government, sticking a gun to the head of the other person saying, I will dictate to you how you will be charitable to your neighbor, and so forth and so on. And if we've studied economics at all, it doesn't work anyway, even if you think that socialism is a system that is morally superior to capitalism or some other system. All right. So Jesus is teaching individual commitment, individual self-sacrifice. And something else that we need to understand from God's word, if you're taking notes, Luke chapter 3 and verse 14, that military service, honorable military service is ethical. Notice what Jesus says. To the soldiers who asked him, quote, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. Now, if Jesus had really believed that all military service was immoral, then Jesus would have told the soldiers, here's what you are to do. Stop being a soldier. Right? Jesus simply told the soldiers, don't use your position as a soldier to use it unnecessarily to extract money that you don't deserve. And there are some people who say, now Jeff, I would use force, but I believe that it's unbiblical. Well, if that's you, then what you're saying is, God, I will violate what I clearly know to be right in order to do something that I think may turn out Right? But what we see in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament is there is a place for the use of force in restraining evil. I don't know if any of y'all believe that. There is a place, and one of those is, if you're taking notes again, Romans chapter 13 and First Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 15. 1 Peter two thirteen through 15 says, Be subject to the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to, here's the purpose of good government, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's the role of government. Verse 15 says, for this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish People. In other words, government is there to punish evil and reward those who do good. If a government twists that around to where they reward those who do evil and punish those who do good, that goes back in our history to where the government needs to be replaced. Alright? Alright? Because this goes, this goes far back before English colonists primarily in Virginia, if you're from Virginia, that has a great heritage to have, that they said, you know what, there is a place for government, but when government begins to violate natural God-given inalienable rights, then the government has gone Over the area that God has given it. For example, the government cannot say, cannot require us to worship is, you know, Allah to be Muslims. The government cannot require us to be Jehovah's Witness or Southern Baptist. The government is there to enforce the rule of law as written on our heart that we know as the Ten Commandments. And in 1 Peter, he's saying, guys, if you can obey the laws as long as it's truly a law. Because you you see, for example, if we go into the closed areas of the world, and we were to go into Iran and North Korea... There are laws on the books that say you cannot talk about Jesus Christ. You cannot share the gospel and ask a person, would you give your life to Christ? At that point is where the Christian says, respectfully, I will disobey the law. Because that law is no law because it violates God's law and freedom of conscience. Are we all clear on that? But we should not, as Christians, violate the law unless it violates God's law. And not only that, but we see very clearly there in verse 39, But I say to you, we're seeing here that following Christ often means rejecting what we've been told. So if we look at the whole Bible, we we take Jesus' words into account, we interpret the unclear, Bible scholars, by the clear, and that there is a place for the restraining of evil through proper authorities. That means that lynch mobs, often sometimes in the past, posses that just turn into lynch mobs, it needs to be done through the authority of those who have precedence. That there is a place for the restraining of evil. Now notice what Jesus says in regards to personal to personal ethics. He says, you have heard that it's been said, an eye for a what? An eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was common knowledge in that day. In fact, the Jews were very well acquainted. If you're taking notes, Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21... It was a very, very, it was a culture that was deeply buried in the idea that if you cross me, I will cross you. I will get you back. I will. And you just wait. It was a culture that was like we see sometimes in popular culture. Oh, no, he didn't. (laughs) Hold me back. Hold me back. I'll get my boys and my girls and we'll light you. I mean, all of that. This side versus this side and drama in the home, drama at the workplace to where at the drop of a hat. And this is a part to where we are at a disadvantage as Americans because we are all about rights. Come on now. We're about rights. And and this is how it shifted in our culture. This is a whole different message. But just for the sake of illustration, you go back a number of decades and you, you, you look at the literature, you look at the culture. People were much more enthused about your responsibility. Your responsibility to take care of yourself, to take care of your family. If you're a guy, you need to do what you need to take responsibility for your life. Today, we go crazy over even the hint of someone's, quote, rights being violated. Now, we as Christians should be the first ones to the table and advocate the rights of the unborn. Or whether it's someone who's being uh, mistreated by someone in an illegal way. But we also need to be very firm in establishing that all of us have a responsibility. Because if you have everyone wanting rights, nobody wanting to be responsible, that's when society begins to break down, you see. Because everybody wanting a piece of the pie as opposed to wanting to build the pie so that something can be taken from that. This was very much like our culture, an an eye-for-an-eye culture. But the background here, I hope this will help you, especially if you have questions about whether the Bible is cruel, whether the Bible has all sorts of things in there that are just simply immoral, that the rule in the Old Testament, an an eye-for-an-eye and a a tooth-for-a-tooth, was given not to allow violence to grow, But it was given to restrain violence. If you have your Bible, mark Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, in verse 23 and 24, it's the story of Lamech, who was the great-grandson of Cain. And Lamech is a bad guy in the Bible, and he's lame, because that's the first four letters of his name. And it says that Lamech said to his wives... Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. So already the guy is full of himself, right? Like he gets his multiple wives around and he's about to give a monologue. And he says, quote, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-seven fold. You can call this Lamech's law. In other words, if you... If you curse me, I doubly curse you. If you touch me, I hit you. If you hit me, I cut you. If you cut me, then I kill you. If you kill a member of my family, I kill all of your family. It was an unjust balance of retribution. And we see this throughout history, don't we? If you study history, you know that Genghis Khan, and there in in Asia, Mongolia, had wiped out so many places. They said it was like the equivalent of a a neutron bomb going off for hundreds of years. Some villages in southern Russia, areas of China, uh, areas even going into the Persian Empire had absolutely no people living there because they simply went and slaughtered every person. We see this in the Rwandan genocide. We see this uh, all across the world. That is history. History is Lamech's law. History is, if you give me an open door, I'm going to step through that door, and I will open fire to let you know you will never mess with me again. So, So then what is the stipulation in the Mosaic law that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? It was saying all you get is one eye for one eye, and all you get is one tooth for one tooth. The Mosaic Law was given in a blood-soaked time. It was given in a time of horrific slavery and war. And you say, well now Jeff, is God actually telling the people in the Old Testament what I want you to do is take an eye for your eye and take a tooth for your tooth. No, if you're taking notes, we've got two verses. There are so many, but these two are very poignant in the way that they stand out. Proverbs 20, verse 22. God says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. That's not New Testament. That's Old Testament. Also, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 29. God says, do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. And a very, very interesting story here is in 1 Samuel chapter 25. When David was, he had his group of men and he asked for Sanctuary. The man named Nabal. And Nabal was a rude, arrogant jerk. I mean, just the biggest punk that you could possibly imagine. He insults David. He, in a sense, strikes him on the cheek by the manners of that day. And you know what David says? He tells his guys, he says, put on your swords. In other words, boys, get your gun belts on. We're going to war. And David was going to wipe out Nabal and his whole household over an insult. Over an insult. And then Nabal's wife, she's a godly woman. She goes to David and she makes peace. Then Nabal has like a heart attack and he dies and she gets to marry David. You're like, that's kind of, kind of weird in a twisted way. And here's what David says. 1 Samuel 25, 33. Blessed be your discretion and blessed by you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and working salvation with my own hand. What David said is God, through the intervention of this lost man's wife, you saved me from exhibiting the law of retribution and revenge. But notice what Jesus says. It's basically the same thing in the book of Proverbs. He says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And some of it, we're just saying, now hold on. Doesn't it go further in verse 39? And it does. And I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, to be slapped on the right cheek would be from the left hand, unless you're a ninja and you can come around and do a reverse ridge hand. The point in that day is that to be slapped with the left hand is a high insult. I mean, it it would be, we don't really have a modern equivalent for it. It was highly, highly insulting. It's with the open hand. He's not speaking about getting ground and pounded, right? Like you're coming home from work, okay? And somebody jumps you as you're getting into your car and you're on the ground getting your face beat and you're like, this is great, I'm suffering for God. No, no. At that point, you put him in a triangle choke, and as he's passing out, you share the gospel with him. All right? And you wait for the cops to come. That, that's what you do for the glory of Jesus. Okay? But, but here, here is, a, is a violation of personal dignity. Because some people have taken this verse and they say, well, what God wants you to do is if you get jumped is to be murdered. Absolutely not. I mean, you've seen the Old Testament God raised up judges and military leaders to say, no more raping, no more stealing, no more burning down homes, no more massacring children. It stops here. It stops here, Babylonians or Syrians or Amalekites or whoever the raiders were. There is a place for that. Jesus is speaking in the context of personal interaction. And when you are physically or verbally or emotionally Insulted to a high degree Jesus says to not respond in kind You see Jeff it almost looks like It almost looks like Jesus is giving A statement here of weakness It is actually the opposite Jesus is giving a statement of strength And in fact it is actually right To stand up for the right things If you want to take notes we have so much That's not in there because we can only pack so much John chapter 18 verse 23, even when Jesus was at trial, one of the guards slapped him across the face and Jesus asked him, he says, but if I, if what I say is right, why do you strike me? Even Jesus used the, the law of God on the conscience to say we know it's wrong to hit a person for no reason. We know it's wrong to take a life for no reason. Jesus and even the apostle Paul, right? The apostle Paul was a Roman citizen and he says, I'm a Roman citizen. And the Romans then treated him like a Roman citizen. There is nothing inherently holy about being beaten up. Now first Peter is really clear. He says this, there is no honor if you do it for being dumb. Right? Like John Wayne said, life is harder and it's harder when you're stupid. First Peter says, don't suffer for being a, a, a criminal. I mean, it, we, we as, as Christ followers should, should obey the law and should be there to help the community. But what the Bible says is that it is an honorable thing to suffer for the cause and the name of Christ. So many hey, of the apostles in the book of Acts, when they were there in the shackles, being beaten, not being fed, not being respected, not being cared for, they, they rejoiced because they counted themselves worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And this is really where our Americanism, I mean, when I, I've, I've, I've tried to go through this before. And if y'all can pray for us, we really do believe that God wants us to connect with unreached people groups around the world to take the gospel in places that it's not yet been. You say, Jeff, we're not a mega church. Who cares? Jesus started out with 12. And we got a whole lot more than 12. But I've thought, you know what if what what if I were to go to one of these places and and get captured and and be interrogated you know how, how, I mean how, to, to prepare yourself for that and you're like I'm never going on a mission trip but that's a possibility I'm just saying and my natural instinct that now if somebody hits me to say my grandma could hit harder than that you know is that all you got like the movies because we see that all the time right somebody has a gun in their head and they're talking trash that I mean that, that's not reality. And then again, some some grandmas do water Zumba and they can hit really hard. So you don't even want to go to that extreme to say, you know what, it's about me. I can handle it. I can take all that you can throw at me. The point is not that. The point is to say through brokenness and humility, I love you. And notice how Jesus takes, us, takes it a step further. He says there in verse number 40, And if, you want, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give him the other also. And not only that, in verse 41, and if... If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Bam! Here's the point of the message that ministry begins in the second mile. Ministry and life change for people who don't know God and for people who do not understand grace. It begins when you do not respond in the same way that they respond to you. It means that when they Either cuss you out, you don't cuss them out. It means when they become very verbally, physically abusive on 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 any, any level. And obviously, there's a point where we protect ourselves. Like I said, there's no there's no inherent holiness in trying to become a martyr. But it simply means that through the power of Christ, you go the second mile. And in that day, if you're a Roman soldier, guess what you could do? You could find any any Hebrew boy, 12 years of old, age or older, and you could conscript him. To carry your, your your military pack one mile in any direction. You know what Jesus says? He says, Go with him too. Now imagine, imagine this. You're a first century Jew, you're under the iron boot of Rome. You're a a man, you're a Jewish man. You want to have your independence. It's been stripped away. You almost feel like your your identity as a man has been stripped away because the Romans looked down and they attached you like you're a slave. And then there's this cocky Roman soldier who comes through and he points and he says, you. He motions you to come over like you're a dog. And you come over and he says, one mile, this direction. And you pick up the pack And you carry it. He didn't want to talk to you. You don't want to talk to him. But then if you heard the words of Jesus, you remember Jesus saying, but go the second mile. And by the time that second mile hits, he says, okay, we're done. The mile marker. You can go home. You say, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go another mile. And he says, what? He says, your miles done. Do you not understand? Go home. You say, no, sir. I want to carry your pack for another mile, which means you have another mile to walk back. And in that second mile, Jesus is giving this revolutionary idea of the way that you retaliate against retaliation is through grace and forgiveness. And you even give, Jesus says there, when there's no chance of it even being returned. And some of us say, now Jeff, why would anyone listen to any of that? We know just a few verses before. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Listen, the divorce that happened, or the family drama, or the work drama that's going on, or the fact that you say, boy, if I could make people disappear, I would have different neighbors. All of that, God has arranged in such a way so that we can exhibit the character of Christ so that people will see that we are different because God has changed us to be different. You say, Jeff, what, what actually makes this retaliation against revenge possible? Two things. Number one. A firm faith in God that He is my defender. It is a settled, listen to me, it is a settled defiance from Christ followers, you and I. It is putting your feet, I mean digging your heels into the dirt, looking bitterness, looking evil in the face and saying you don't own me. Saying, you have tried to form me to respond in the same way. You have no, you have no grace. You have no patience. You have no love. You've treated me like garbage. And by the way, there's nothing in the Bible that says that forgiveness is trying to make ourselves believe that someone is good when we know that they're truly evil. Forgiveness means that we take the offense seriously. We say what happened was terrible. What you said deeply hurt. But listen, I will not be made into the mold of this culture that says if I have been sinned against, then therefore I have to respond like a person who's in slavery to their own bitterness. You look bitterness in the face and say, you don't own me, Jesus does. Amen. You look unforgiveness in the face and you say, absolutely, they don't deserve to be forgiven. But But doesn't that remind me of Jesus? You look hatred in the face and you say, through the power of God, I will take all of that that torrential downpour of hate that you and these people have poured upon me. Maybe it's somebody in your family. And you don't necessarily have to say this to them. But it's in your heart a commitment to God to say, I will, through the power of Christ, not be made into the image of the culture that says an eye for an eye because Jesus gave His life for me. And then some people will say, now Jeff... It almost sounds like the people are getting away with it. It almost sounds like, like they, they deserve the punishment, but, but no one's, no, no one's there to do it. Listen, when you and I choose through the power of Christ to absorb the offense, to, to, to absorb those words, and those actions and those phone calls that don't happen, that should, Through all of that, that reminds us of Jesus who stepped in and says, I'll do it. And he absorbed every ounce of the wrath of God on the cross of Calvary for you and I. So we could say you're never more like Jesus than when you are giving. We could also say you are never more like Jesus when you are not responding with the hatred that you've been responded to. A firm reliance in that God is my defender. First Peter chapter 3 2, verse 23. The Bible says, when he, speaking of Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. This is such good news for the fighters in here. For the men and the women, you just you're like, man, I have a passion to see justice done. It almost seems like, Jeff, if I adopted the ethics of Jesus on retaliation, and I didn't respond in the same way, that they would be getting away with it. No, absolutely not. It is not passive. It is active. Jesus, through the suffering that led to the cross, He is entrusting Himself to the Father. For you and I, when we are mistreated and abused, we entrust ourselves to the sovereign power of God. And even more... It's not just that we absorb what they take, what they throw at us, but it is that we desire repentance for them. That's crazy. That's insane. That we are being persecuted by people that we never picked a fight with, people that we had, had sacrificed for. Maybe it's your wife, your husband, your child, your mom, or your dad. And you see, this is this is the opposite of you, what you see even in the animal kingdom. Through the power of God, He can not only allow you not to be molded into a shape of bitterness and hatred like them, but He will give you a heart to see your persecutors changed. That is something that is impossible outside the power of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. Amen. You ever going weary wear your faint hearted? The Bible says, think of Jesus. Psalm chapter 27, verse 1. The Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Come on, church. Amen. Whom shall we fear? If He's our light and He's our salvation, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? You see, when the storm hits, we go deep inside the sovereignty of God. Even when we don't understand why we've been verbally slapped. If you've grown up in an abusive home, you say, I don't know why those things happen. I don't either. But God is so powerful, He can work good from bad. Psalm chapter 118 verses 6 and 7. The Bible says the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as a helper. I shall look on triumph to all those who hate me. Then we know that Jesus on the cross. He cried out. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He prayed and he died. That's not just a prayer that Jesus prayed on the cross. That should be the heart cry of us, especially when we encounter retaliation. So it is a firm reliance upon the sovereignty and the power of God. And finally, us coming to the place to where we admit that God can wield, he can handle, he can execute the sword of judgment far better than we can. Romans chapter 12 gives a beautiful summary of this. And before I read it, can we just be honest? There have been times in our lives where we said, you know, those shoot em up movies kind of have something going for them. And by the way, do you know what Steven Seagal said? He said the reason why people like movies like that is because people have a desire to see justice served. We have a desire to see wrongs righted. But we have to, as followers of Christ, come to the place to say, God, it is not my prerogative. It is not up to me to know how, where, and when divine justice and retribution and vengeance is to be acted out. God, that is a far bigger sword than I can carry into battle. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, about how to respond. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And then it says, if possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Amen? If you've got somebody in your house, this may be a little verse to kind of throw out there. And then hide behind the couch. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, verse 19. Here's where the rubber meets the road. Never avenge You talk about confusing the enemies and the persecutors in your life. The word of God says do the opposite of what they do. Retaliate against retaliation by overcoming good with evil. And it's in that second mile that people will begin to see, even if it takes time, that there is something different. Christian rapper Lecrae says, is a great statement, he says, the inability to forgive is a prison. And Jesus came to set the captives free. And the most strong, the most brave, for guys, the most manly thing that you can do is have the strength of the Holy Spirit to not respond the way that our lower nature wants not to be brought down, but to say through the power of Christ, I will overcome evil with good in my personal relationships in my, pay, in my family.